Hi, this is Welcome to Self, caring for the human in the therapist chair. And I'm your host, Dr. Haley D. Quinn, fellow human, clinical psychologist, supervisor, and trainer. Welcome to Self is a place where you can come and learn ways to elevate your own care and compassion. A place to rest and be soothed. A place to remember that you are human first and choose the helping profession as just one of the roles in your life. My aim is that this is a place of soothing, comfort, nourishment and nurture. A place where you can also welcome yourself. I'd like to take a moment of gratitude for Maggie, who left me a comment. Maggie said, Your podcasts are truly inspiring. I enjoy sitting, reflecting, and taking notes of the informative ways you and your guest speakers explore ideas and share honest reflections about the difficulties they have experienced taking care of themselves at times. Thanks, Maggie, for your lovely feedback. I really do appreciate it, and I'm so pleased that the podcast is making a difference for you. Before we get into this episode, I'd just like to remind you of the CFT for Trauma training I'll be running at the beautiful Sunshine Coast in November with my colleague, Dr. Lisa McLean. You can find the link in the show notes or reach out via my website. I'm thrilled to introduce my next guest, Amanda Connell from Spilt Milk Psychology. Amanda is a clinical psychologist working at the intersection of infant feeding, mental health and early parenting. For too long, discussions around parental mental health have pitted parents against children in the battle for happiness. Amanda passionately believes there is enough love for everyone. She champions finding solutions that honour the needs of both parents and babies, bringing fierce compassion to perinatal mental health. Her human-centred approach empowers families by providing insightful, practical and relatable information and support. I have the pleasure of knowing Amanda personally, and she's such a fountain of knowledge in this area. She has such a beautifully compassionate approach, and I'm thrilled to have her on the podcast today. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed my conversation with Amanda. Hey, Amanda. It's so lovely to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. It's really nice to have another local um, Brisbane psychologist on the pod. Lovely to be here. Thanks for inviting me. No worries. So do you want to start with just telling us a little bit about yourself and what it was that drew you to the helping professions? Uh, so my name is Amanda. Um, I'm a Brisbane-based clinical psychologist and have um, a practice called Spilt Milk Psychology. Um, at the moment, I work largely in the perinatal space, so supporting mums and bubs and families um, through the transition to parenthood and early parenting and the mental health challenges that can come through that. Um, my pathway to psychology, I don't even know if you know this, um, Haley was um, quite varied. I actually did a, a Bachelor of Mathematics before I did. So I studied pure mathematics before I did psychology. Oh, wow. Uh, and then um, <laughs> got to the end of that degree and, and was counting down to graduation and then realised, oh, when I finish this, 
that's not the end. Then I have to actually start doing it for a living and <laughs> freaked out, panicked um, and transferred to psychology uh, when I stopped and looked at what were the things that I actually enjoyed yeah. doing in my life. Um, and so I actually went into ev- evolutionary psychology and worked with primates for a while. Um, and I think that's one of the things that um, drew me just into, into what makes us human and yeah. what is our humanness and what are the things that are unique to us as humans, but also connecting in not just to our common humanity, but our common being with other beings on our planet and our nearest relatives in particular um, of great interest to me. Um, And I think that's also why I got interested in perinatal psychology and particularly what drew me to CFT as well is the really strong connection to the fact that as humans, we are, we are animals, we are primates, we um, we have bodies, like we, we often kind of treat ourselves as consciousness moving around in a life support system. Mm. Um, but I, I love how um, evolutionary psychology and, and CFT um, and these spaces help connect us to the fact that we aren't just brains in bodies, that we're beings and that mm. we fit together and our brain influences our body and is influenced by our body. Um, and the perinatal space is a space of huge transitions psychologically, emotionally, relationally, um, but also physically. Like we have these big body changes um, that go on through this. So it's all of the transitions that come into parenting where there's so much change yeah. um, in our physical being as well as our, our, our psychological being as well. Yeah. So like so many of us, you, you didn't go straight into psychology. You kind of took the the longer way around to get here, which I think can be more interesting at times. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's it's one of those things is at the time I really felt like quite judgmental towards myself, like I'd wasted all this time studying pure mathematics. And I'm like, oh, you know, such a waste because I did um, my, my major in my maths degree was operations and logistics, um, so looking at optimization and those sorts of things. And I'll tell you what, as a parent, it's probably a really useful skill to have that idea of optimizing rather than perfecting of recognizing we have limited resources and you can't you can't actually just have a hundred percent of everything you you can't do that Um, and it's also one of the things that strikes me a lot because I think still quite mathematically my mind often thinks in numbers and and patterns and those sorts of things too is how often I find myself like saying to people it's like you do know like half the time you're below average because that's how averages work. Like yeah. <laughs> you know, half of the time you're below average. You can't aim to be above average most of the time. Like that's mathematically impossible. Um, <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. And, I, and I think that's the thing, isn't it? Whatever we learn is never wasted, whatever it is. It's always going to be helpful in some way, even if that's, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> It's also one of those things that was really interesting for me in my training was going from maths to psychology. And maths is a very male-dominated yeah. field, especially pure mathematics that I was doing, um, and then moving to psychology, which is quite female-dominated. And I remember going to my first couple of psychology lectures and being like, this sounds different like the the lecture theaters sound the space is such a different space and realizing even just right down to the like acoustics of when you walk into a room full of men it sounds like and then you walk into a room full of women it's like 
there's a different pitch to the yeah. room. Um, and seeing that influence, I think, of of um, the world we find ourselves in as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned you work within the perinatal field. Can you tell us how you came to be passionate about that? You've sort of touched on that sort of evolutionary psychology. And um, what are some of the highlights and challenges that you face in your work? Because I imagine that could be quite a challenging area. Yeah, it is. And it's one of those spaces um, I've always been really interested in, in women's health as well. And I don't know if that was, again, coming from a, a very male-dominated um space into a very female dominated space and recognizing the role of feminism and um feminist psychology and those yeah. sorts of things so I was I was women's officer at the university where I studied at at ANU when I was there um and really got involved in looking at feminist discourse analysis and and the impact of um the patriarchy and um the medical model of being so strongly influenced by men mm. and then even moving through um, the evolutionary psychology stuff, always in back of mind was was women's experiences and how they differ um, in psychology and in accessing psychology services. And then through the transition of having my own children, of realizing and entering the motherhood space and being and hearing the experiences of other women around me. And I, um, when I became a mother, I joined the Australian Breastfeeding Association for support for myself. Um, and then used that time to train as a breastfeeding counsellor and worked as a volunteer breastfeeding counsellor for the Australian Breastfeeding Association for seven plus years. Mm-hmm. Um, and during that time um, as well, rec- it, it sort of brings to the fore how universal these challenges are for so many families and how complicated all of these transitions are. And it just really spark- sparked a fire in me, I think, to improve the quality the quality of care that women receive and families receive um, because I think that's a really big part that plays into the perinatal space is unlike a lot of other areas of psychology where we we do recognise the role of um, relationships and um, social and psychosocial um, events in the perinatal space there is still um, the medicalised model that individuates distress that women feel when they become a mother and put it on her um we're recognizing that actually a lot of the challenges that a woman faces in the perinatal space isn't just from becoming a mother it's the impact that that has on her intimate relationships the impact it has on her identity the huge identity shift that comes and that when you work in the perinatal space you know there's a winnicott who is kind of the father of um attachment theory and things so it talks about that you know there's no such thing as a baby there's a baby in someone yes because um you know as I said we're fancy monkeys and a lone monkey is a dead monkey especially a baby one um we need we rely with social beings and um you know the very first need that we have the need that we are born with is to be loved is to be cared for because without that we don't survive we can't we are dependent and so the first need that we have is to be cared for Um, it's such a strong primal need and that need doesn't go away Um, and in the same way that Winnicott says there's no such thing as a baby there's a baby and someone there's no such thing as a mother Mm. there's a mother and someone because without the context of her baby she's not a mother Um, she's a woman she's a person um, and there's no such thing as a parent. There's a parent and someone. It's the same for dads. A dad's identity doesn't exist outside the context of a baby. Yeah. 
And so it means that working in the perinatal space more than more more acutely than in other areas of psychology, you are always having to work relationally, dyadically, triadically, family systems. You're always having to hold in mind um, the other parties. Yeah. So that's probably the biggest challenge, I think. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's beautiful work you do because I think, you know, as you touched on before, that there's a lot of, or has been, and probably still is, a lot of blaming and shaming of women when they struggle, when mm. they transition into motherhood. So yes. I think this is really important work. You mentioned you were drawn to compassion-focused therapy. Mm-hmm. How has your training in CFT changed how you work? And also what impact has that had on you personally? Huge, really huge. And I think it is, um, it's one of those things. I, I love CFT and and all the modalities in the compassion space around um things I love working with flows of compassion I think and expectation management and things but again in the perinatal space I think we have cultures that that frame mothers as compassionate but often the only flow of compassion that they're looking at is the flow from self to other of how a mother cares for others Um, and there's not as much consideration given for the receiving of compassion um, which often in the perinatal space contributes um, more to distress than anything else is, is that especially for high achieving, independent, capable um, women as they transition into motherhood and, and have suddenly have, as I said, that need to be cared for and the, the touching right to the bone of that primal need to be, to belong, to be accepted, yeah. to be judged as capable um, and to be supported through their suffering. Um, and we again have a culture of motherhood meant to be this time of bliss and wonderment and the most rewarding job you've ever done and um, and the expectations on women to be loving every moment or what does it mean about me if this is actually a time of of great pain or of um, great personal suffering and struggle um, that women often feel like they're failing in that space um, and they set the bar so high, like I said, that, that, and even when they try not to, like, even like the, the framing of what a reasonable expectation sounds like when, when a mother says to me something like, you know, I know I'm not going to be perfect. I just want to be the best mom I can be. Yeah. And again, going, no, that's actually impossible. You can't be at your best all of the time. No. You can't even be at your average half, you know, half yeah, of the exactly. time. Exactly. <laughs> below that so again that idea yeah. of if you're constantly aiming for your optimal performance then the vast majority of the time you're going to feel like you're failing yeah. um, if your goal is to do your best yeah it's such an important point isn't it it's like setting the bar when we think we're actually not setting it that high but the bar is actually still being set really high yes yeah and then there's continual and then so much judgment from society and what have you isn't it around parenting as well And also the qualities of what makes a good mother Um, and particularly for women who've had um, experiences of mental health concerns in the past. Um, Like we think of some of these implicit cultural ideas of like that a mother is supposed to be organised. Mothers are meant to have excellent executive functioning. And if you're someone with ADHD, (laughs) that's going to be something you struggle with automatically Um, or that mothers are meant to be um, 
really well regulated all of the time yeah. and that that when we think of what are the qualities of a mother is we think of someone who is um you know calm and serene and grounded and these qualities that for a lot of people are, are do not come naturally or yeah. are not skills that they may have been um taught or had modeled to them or have experienced in their own childhoods um and so it, it's very easy for them to experience huge levels of shame yeah. and particularly around certain emotional expression. Again, we we almost actually, I like um, normalise anxious mothers. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're meant to worry about your baby. Um, good mothers worry about their baby. Um, we feel pity towards sad mothers. You know, we will comfort a depressed mother. Um but if you're an angry mum, mm. if you're a mum who experiences, who dysregulates or who experiences strong anger, you know, angry mums are seen as crazy mums, angry mums are seen as dangerous mums, mm. um, where actually anger in the perinatal period is incredibly um, common and actually also valuable um, emotion, and yet it's one that gets demonised and suppressed um, mm. and separated out. So they're they're probably the biggest things where I think compassion-focused therapy has had such a powerful influence in the way that I practice in helping the de-shaming and so much work constantly in that space of de-shaming and helping people to understand how so many of the things that we do are actually functional but in dysfunctional amounts. Yeah. Um, so like anger in the perinatal space is actually a really functional emotion um, but it, it might be presenting in a dysfunctional or a maladaptive way. Yeah. Um, so being able to de-shame that and CFT has such beautiful tools for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Such important work. And how has CFT kind of helped you? Because, I mean, you're a mum. You're, you're recently a solo parent. You're a working mum. Um, yeah. You're a therapist working with mums. You've got lots yeah. of roles going on. So how has that helped you as well? Because I know I've, I've talked a lot about how CFT has been life-changing for me and in, in how I relate to myself and, you know, not just professionally but personally how it's impacted my life. I'm curious how, what have you taken from it personally? Oh, yeah, it's, it's huge. And it is one of those things of I think CFT really encouraged me to be able to step really authentically into my work yeah. um, and to allow myself, again, with those flows of compassion, like so many other mums, this flow of compassion that I struggled with probably the most was compassion from others to yeah. self um, and allowing that space. So, um, yeah, over the last two years, uh, I got separated into, I separated from my husband in 2020. Um, and then within, um, in the process actually of moving out of the marital home when moving furniture, I injured my spine. Um, again, I have a history of spinal issues and had to take an unplanned, very, um, chaotic break from work from clinical work and had to manage triaging my clients out while I took a break um, to have spinal surgery rebuild my and navigating that again as a single parent yeah. through um, through those challenges of care arrangements and, and shifting things around um, and we do have all of the you know the triggers that inner critic and those those fears around what's this going to mean and what other people going to think and actually holding and allowing space for um, appropriate compassion from others of saying actually it's all right for me to need to step back it's all right for me to need to breathe for myself yeah. um, before I can breathe for others and CFT I think really gave me the skills to 
honour what I needed through that time um, and also gave me the skills I think that I needed professionally at that time to be able to continue to hold space for others while holding space for myself um, that I could show up for my clients and still honour and make space for my own needs um, both in the immediacy of being in, in session but also outside of session of, of giving myself that, that space to process. Mm. Um, but I think the tools that come um, from working from that compassionate framework of, and again, the biggest one for me has been that lowering the bar. I go, oh, I thought the bar was low. It needs to be lower, lower, lower. <laughs> Get under the bed, like, you know, <laughs> the bar away. Like just, um, and so, so often as we often find, um, in working in a space that's at a life stage where you're in a similar life stage is that oftentimes you're speaking to your clients, but you're also speaking to yourself. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the things I talk to parents about is so often what we need to do is to say what we need to hear. And yeah. that by honoring the needs of the other, we also honor the needs of the self. Like when my kids are, um, you know, frantic and stressed and, and chaotic is being able to just say, it's okay, take your time. Yeah. All right, take your time. Or you didn't want it to be like this. I know you didn't want today to be like this. Right. Is to know that I'm talking to me as much as I'm talking to them. Yeah. Um, it's like, I know, I know you're sad that mommy was running late today. You wished that I could be here on time. I wanted that too. Yeah. Um, and to really be able to tune into that and go the same validation I can offer them, I can offer myself. Um, and, and both, and again, with the clients and with your own children and so much perinatal work involves a lot of reparenting of your clients as well. So yeah. there's a lot of those skills where you're, um, constantly in a state of learning and growing. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and self-reflection, isn't it? It's that, you know, keeping an eye on yourself and an eye on your client, or like you say, an eye on your child and an eye on yourself mm. and working with that. So you have recently made changes to your work life. So you, you've had some big upheavals in the last couple of years. But you've recently made changes to your work life and you've set up on your own private practice, having been in a group private practice. And I think, you know, that can be challenging on different levels and very exciting as well. I wonder if you could talk about how you navigated those changes and what you found most helpful. Yeah, so um, so as you said, I've, I've had my own business, Spilt Milk Psychology, um, has been around for about six years or so, through which I provide health professional training and supervision. Yeah. Um, but for my clinical work, I've always done that as a subcontractor through a group private practice. And with the changes that came with navigating the shift to single parenting, I needed to um, have the flexibility of being able to work school hours and work from home um, and manage my own diary with a bit more flexibility than what being in a big practice allowed for. So I made the decision to shift over and just start seeing clients via telehealth um, through spilt milk. Uh, and so um, it's one of those weird spaces in that I've been in private practice for years and yet I'm, I'm just starting a private practice. So I've got this kind of weird um space of being an experienced beginner um yeah so it's it's, and it definitely is that the challenges that come with that is that that sense of feeling like I should know what I'm doing like why do I not know what I'm doing why is this all so hard and then having to stop and go oh it's because this is actually a new business this is actually a new venture uh and you don't get to skip that part that you're always going to be a beginner um when you're at the beginning of something um and I think that 
the the mindset that's been really helpful for me during all this time like as I'm watching my my bank balance slide downwards as I you know transition through um having fewer clients while I set things up and allowing myself the space to do that because I think it is that sense of um, urgency that can come and having to kind of comfort myself through that idea of going, you know, I'm not running away. I'm not falling behind. I'm taking a run up. You know, yeah. when you, when you take a run up for something, you have to go backwards first in order yeah. to get that momentum to really be able to come at something well. Um, and that's probably again, been a big gift that's come from having the CFT training is allowing myself to underperform for a bit yeah. um, and really recognize that, that that's actually a part of the ebbs and flows and the seasons of life that we, in our capitalist kind of world that we live in, we have this idea of being in perpetual summer and that we're meant to be harvesting at all times. And it's like, that's not how. No, it's not reality, is it? It's not reality that we need to have a, and so I um, remind myself of some of those things and, and, you know, workshops that I've run that I've called, you know, cultivating compassion and drawing on that idea of, anything when we first plant when you first plant a seed for a long time you water dirt you know there's nothing to be there's nothing to be seen (laughs) that you're just watering dirt and I think that that comes with um like skill rehearsal and things like that too in a clinical sense but it's the same with any starting any venture is holding that struggle holding that fear of oh god what if I'm just watering dirt what if what if this is a dud like what if this isn't going to go anywhere what if this or what if it's not going to bear enough fruit even if it bears fruit what if it's not going to be enough and what if it's not going to grow quickly enough and it's like having to hold that that struggle of saying it's okay just water the dirt like just that's all you can do for now that's where you are and we're cultivating we're preparing the ground we're creating the conditions um and all of those skills I think and that language has really come from my CFT training to be able to hold that space. Yeah. Um, I think when we can reflect on our own three circles mm-hmm. and sort of see is this threat-based drive, am I thinking, oh, I just need to book more clients and I just need to, yeah. it doesn't matter who they are, I just need to book them in so yeah, I can build my business. Is not yeah. a helpful thing, isn't it? But when we can notice it's actually my my drive system is being motivated by threat here, mm-hmm. this is this is time to sit back and reflect and think, no, actually it is okay to just be watering the dirt. Yeah. I don't need to keep, keep put, trying to put more seeds in. Yeah, yeah, and that I don't need to be trying to harvest anything yeah. right now, that actually it's all right to give yourself time to get prepared and, yeah. and you know, that, that green circle space of stay and play, you know, let yeah. yourself dream and think and, yeah. and create a world that's sustainable for me moving forwards, yeah. um, especially through that wanting not wanting to overwork I've overworked for years um just to kind of keep my head above water um and so um creating that that work-life balance and going like oh this is actually this is productive it's just I'm cultivating rather than harvesting and that's a different form of productivity yeah and it can be hard right I mean I think lots of us struggle with that I know when I had to give up what I was doing because of my health and I was setting out on my own and I started off just with a handful of clients and it was this thing of like but what if this doesn't work and what if you know what will I do and and being in that space and being willing to be with the discomfort that shows up can be really challenging yeah yeah I think it's that thing too isn't it is one of the um the skills I think from being able to when when we can access our 
that kind of compassionate mindset is yeah. it's often so much more flexible. Yes. And it's the biggest thing that I notice compared to if you are in that kind of threat drive motivation where it can be very um, black and white and very rigid um, and very, you know, that you you either get it, you're either right or wrong and things are either working or they're not working. Um, and when you can access and tap into that, that more balanced approach, it's not, it's not about um, blind optimism. Of, it's okay. Everything will be fine. <laughs> it's, the, it's okay. Even if it all turns to shit, like everything's yeah, okay. I'll be okay. And I'll solve yeah, it. Be okay. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, what happens if this fails? And it's like, well, then do something different. We, we get a different job. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. oh no, what if I'm not making enough money and, and I start to go bankrupt and say, well, then you'll look for work. Like that's yeah. actually, <laughs> it's that trust in self, problems. isn't it? It's I can trust myself that yeah. I can try things. Yeah. And if they don't work out, I can try something else. One of my favorite things I say to people is that the thing I like most about choice is you can always make another one. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're not, you don't make the choice and that's it, right? Well, you're stuck with this till you retire. You've just got to make this one thing work. Yeah. Um, I think that's that, that thing too, is if you can really target that um, punitive credit, that's when, no, you've made your choice. You've got to stick with it now. Um, yeah. That when we can tune into our own suffering is we can notice when we can notice how to like fail quickly if we need to, yes. like how to, to give yourself permission to step out and kind of bringing it back to the space that I work in. One of the areas I'm really passionate passionate about is like infant feeding um, and mental health and both breastfeeding support, but also in um, childhood feeding disorders and things. And I remember, and I think it's a really important skill. Is if we're teaching a child who's got restricted eating, if we're teaching them to eat, the very first thing that I'll teach a child what to do is how to spit things out of their mouth. Because yeah. if we can't trust ourselves to get out of a situation, we're not going to trust ourselves to get into it. Yeah. And sometimes the worst thing we can do to unintentionally reinforce um, fussy eating is to say to a child, like, you know, once you put a green bean in your mouth, you've got to swallow it. If we can give ourselves that permission, if you don't like it, you can spit it out. Yeah. And then, yay, you tried a green bean. Well done. Yeah. And it's that same thing of going, giving yourself permission to experiment with life to see if yeah. something works what if I return to work before I'm ready? Well, then you just cut your hours back. You know, then, you know, it's then just you such know. a beautiful, gentle approach, isn't it? Mm. Like we, we can be gentle with ourselves and we can still get things done that we need to get done. Mm. We don't have to be like, say, so punitive around the things that we do. And often That's I think beautiful. it's one of those, the, the great irony of it is, is often the more we can give ourselves permission to stop if it's too hard, actually the braver we become, yeah. the easier it becomes to make hard choices is if you know it's okay for you to try something hard because if it's too hard, you can stop. Yeah. Where if we hold ourselves to that, nope, you've got to, you've made a commitment, you've got to do it, you've got to see it through. You know, once that green beans in your mouth, you've got to swallow it. It's going, well, what makes you brave to try a food and to try new things is knowing if at any point it's not okay, you can stop and I'll let you. If it becomes unbearable, I'll let you stop. And that when, if we know that we will honor listening when something becomes unbearable, it makes it so much easier to be uncomfortable. Yeah. But my, my, my playful side, <laughs> I'm giggling. My playful side is coming out to say, can, can we just say as well to everybody, this doesn't just apply to children. Like as adults, we can try new foods. And if we don't like them, we can actually spit them out. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's one of the, the woman who did, who did the feeding training with me was an American one. I still have in, in my mind clear as day is, is she's like, if you don't like it, you can wash it away. And I'm like, 
that's just my mantra for life now. Like you can try anything and if you don't mm. like it, just wash it away. Just spit it out and wash it away. It's it's all right mm. that um, you can be bold and brave and try new things, yeah, and especially mm. if you give yourself that, if you're confident of knowing I've got an exit plan, like it's yeah. all right. Absolutely. So you you also have diversity in your work and, and a lot of people, when I work with um, other practitioners, I talk about this as something I think can be really, really helpful. Now, not for everybody. Some people like to do the same thing all the time for the whole week. But for, for many people, I think diversity in your work can be really, really helpful. What do you think that adds to the sustainability and enjoyment of your work life? Oh, hugely. Um so as well as doing individual client work, um, I really love doing group work and group training, which has been a lot harder over um, the past few years with the pandemic yeah. and navigating that. Um, but I also, um, I love doing like public education, like public health sort of stuff. And, and um, as I said, I, I worked as a volunteer breastfeeding counsellor and loved running um, peer-to-peer support groups and doing that kind of group work and breastfeeding education classes and things like that. Um and my passion for that sort of stuff actually comes from my one of my non-psychology hats, which is I've always, I'm a massive comedy nerd. I'm a huge comedy fan. And um, I actually used to do stand-up when I was at uni. Um, and so I'm, and I did debating at school and I did public speaking and those sorts of things. So I think there's a part of me that actually quite enjoys um, not even so much the performance side of things, but like I, like I love stand-up, I love writing stand-up. I love yeah thinking about how we put thoughts together and how we communicate. And I love um, mental health communication yeah. um, side of things. And so by doing work outside of individual clinical work, it, it makes a space for me to tap into that part of myself that I enjoy um, accessing as well around how can we communicate difficult ideas in really simple concepts. Um, I love the use of analogy and metaphor um, and so I liked I liked being able to tap into that and and um, so started started spilt milk online um, and I have quite a big Facebook following um, not so much on Instagram but still I'm I'm on Instagram and on um, Twitter and things like that and actually in 2020 I um, ran a 24 hour live stream for Perinatal Mental Health Week. Yeah, that was um, a massive I, effort. Well done. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, where I streamed online for 24 hours um, as part of Perinatal Mental Health Week with a project called Parenting's a 24-hour gig. And it was lovely and it was huge. Um, but as well as doing that, like it taps into different parts of my needs um, and being able to service different parts of the community. But it also means that I can build a, a diary and a calendar that allows me to have that flexibility of how much time I'm working directly in client facing contact how much time I'm doing project work uh, how much time I am thinking about content creation um, and building that space and also being able to um, tap into different populations so I I really love um, as I said that kind of education role so I love doing supervision with colleagues and supporting them in in building their own confidence as well in the space and doing that health professional um, training yeah. both within psychologists but also I, I do training with like midwives and lactation consultants working in the perinatal space so it's nice to tap into different parts of the community of the population I work with as well um, and so you sort of you're getting different clinical presentations and different needs so it makes it in terms of sustainability um, it's certainly for me I found it a lot less emotionally draining just by being able to have that that gear shift yeah. Um, between yes, the clinical so. work versus the um, professional education work, supervision work. 
um, yeah, online content work. So I, I love it. I love that diversity. Yeah, me too. That that for me with my health has been really important that I'm not doing one-on-one appointments that I have to be at at particular times all week. I have a lot of different things that I do. And and it doesn't just have to be in the field of psychology either. My husband and I have a building company and I design houses. So <laughs> that for me is completely different to doing psychology and um, is tapping into creativity, isn't it? It taps into, like you say, these different needs that we have, but also I think gives you flexibility for life outside of work as well because if you're not committed to an appointment time where you're sitting in front of somebody and you know you've got time within your week you've still got to get the work done but you've got flexibility whereas for you you might have stuff on with your kids I was a single mum for 13 years I've now got an adult son um, who you know I still parent um, but in a different in a different way to when he was a child and I think having that space and time within your week can be really valuable so I think I always sort of say to people, you know, this doesn't have to be within the realm of psychology either. It can yeah. be finding something that you're doing that complements the work that you're doing in psychology as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and I think that that's one of those things is that that's still something I'm still working towards is, is further diversifying out of just strictly psychology as I said I'm a massive comedy nerd and yeah. um one of the benefits it's one of the upsides that's come out of the pandemic is um more online comedy communities and things and I've actually formed some really firm friendships with um some stand-ups in the UK and and um actually have a, a book project in the works with um with one of those that we keep we say it's book chat but mostly it's it's more chat less book <laughs> <laughs> but we'll get there we'll, we'll sort something out as our lives ebb and flow yeah. So you are a busy working mum. You have many roles in your life and you've got lots of skills on board from your training um, on how to take care of yourself. But like everybody else, you're also a human being. And I'm just curious as to what are some of your biggest challenges that you face in terms of taking care of yourself across all your roles? I think that... Um... It's absolutely the fact that, as you said, is that I'm not immune just because you you have all the skills doesn't necessarily make them any easier to use. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I think that the more experience we get in things while we're doing this, we, we can sometimes just be sharpening the stick with which we poke ourselves. Um, with, when, when it comes to, I know, like in my early psychology training of things like behavioural activation and this and that and the other and routine setting and all these lovely skills, um, and you're like, those are, are great, but that's one of the things that I, again, love with CFT is anchoring into that idea of, yeah, you're still a human though, and yeah. you still have all those same the same social conditioning as every other human being. You still have the same um, fears and competing needs as everybody else. Yeah. Um, and so one of the biggest challenges, I guess, like from a practical standpoint is, again, being single parenting makes it difficult to, um, because my children are still too young for me to leave them at home unattended. So even things like going for a walk, I live right in the bay, um, and just being able to get out of the house and go for a walk where previously I might have done that in the morning, gotten up early um, before the kids are even awake and being able to leave them at home with their dad while I go to the gym or go for a walk. And so I don't have that option anymore. Um, So having to kind of fit things in. And that's, again, why we're being able to kind of juggle my schedule a little bit um, helps. 
um, as I also mentioned, I have a history of, of spinal injuries and so mm. need to really take care of my body. Yeah. And there was, I, I was watching a, um, a clip the other day, uh, again, comedian, not a psychologist, but was talking about, um, there was something that I thought, gee, that resonates with um, with CFT, with the idea of, of human suffering. Cause she said, when I move my body too much, it hurts. When I don't move my body enough, it hurts. When I stand up for too long, it hurts. And when I lie down for too long, it hurts. And when I feel all my feelings, it hurts. And when I don't feel my feelings, it hurts. And <laughs> this is kind of idea and sort of thing. And she sort of was like, I think I've worked out that actually just being in a human body hurts. Like right. it, it hurts. There's, there's part. And that um, the only time when it doesn't hurt is when we're in a state of flow and we find yeah. this ability to flow and she was talking about it in the context of dance and that for her she's like that's the one time I'm not in pain is when I'm dancing um and being in my when we're actually in the moment and being in our body and being in a state of flow and I think it is that thing of trying to find that and prioritize that within our own lives is what is your what is your state of flow and when am I most in that state um and for me it's those little things like I've bought a very expensive chair <laughs> that I do my work on and I have to be constantly aware of my posture um, needing to find those moments of self-care, re- again, lowering the bar um, of recognising that um, the way that I fill my little emotional fuel tank is kind of like how I put petrol in the car when I was a uni student. It's just <laughs> enough to keep the fuel light off. And seriously, the, the difference, though, of driving around in a car with the fuel light on all of the time mm feels really different than if you can just keep that fuel light off, even if you never have a full tank of fuel, yeah. is I need just enough self-care to keep that fuel light off. And so that's kind of my, again, the bar. Yeah. I don't need to be driving around with a constantly full tank of fuel. I don't need to be at a state of perfect well-being. What I need is to not be in pain. I need to not be agitated. I need enough time and enough. I need enough sleep to not be agitated, even if I'm not getting a good full night's sleep. Yeah. <laughs> that it's finding those um, those tipping points of what are the non-negotiables. And I think in the parenting space um, and juggling it is actually um, allowing my kids to see that too. Like that's yeah. that flow of compassion of others to self, like letting them know when I'm having a hard time going, and letting them have a harder time so that I can have an easier time. So it is those things like when my kids are at school and I have time to myself, I don't go grocery shopping. They hate grocery shopping, but I hate grocery shopping. So I'm not going to use my alone time to go grocery shopping. We can all hate grocery shopping together. (laughs) If I'm going to suffer, we're all going to (laughs) suffer. And it's all right. It's uncomfortable for all of us, but it's unbearable for none of us. It's okay. Um, And that I can just let them have to go through the discomfort of grocery shopping with me rather than me bearing that alone so that they don't have to, if that then makes space for me in my day to be able to do half an hour of physio exercises by myself or just sit and meditate and have a cup of tea um, or, you know, do whatever it is that I need to do while I have that opportunity for stillness. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I think that's probably the biggest challenge is learning how to make other people like letting other people be uncomfortable yes be more comfortable yeah look I'm sure there's lots of people listening who will resonate with that of this discomfort when we start to say I'm actually gonna put my needs first here 
and people are just like, oh, but it, it's a practice, isn't it? it? It's a practice for all of us and learning to or be willing to be with the discomfort that shows up with that. Yeah. 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 That's lovely. Yeah, that's very wise. Make them all go shopping. I was yes. talking before as well about the bar and I, and I feel like putting it out to everybody to like, okay, let's all put our bars on the floor. We'll start from the floor and we'll just pick them up a little bit. <laughs> yes. so this learning not to set the bar too high. It's like just set it down on the floor and lift it a little bit from there rather than putting it up in the sky and trying to bring it down. Yes. And it is that thing, is it? It's that constant. I've got a, um, I might talk about it a little bit in a, in a minute. Um, I've got some projects on the go that are all about that around looking at expectation setting and how yeah. do we be a bit more reasonable. Yeah. in that because a lot of times our expectations are so high that even when we think we lower them we haven't <laughs> yeah absolutely so what would be and I know this can be hard to distill it down to one piece of advice but what would one piece of advice be that you'd share with our listeners uh, one thing um I think it is like, like what we were talking about before is the power of flexibility like don't be afraid to um, allow yourself to change your mind um, yeah. and that, that it's okay. It's absolutely okay uh, in everything in life to have a go at something and for it to not work out yeah. um, and be that personally, be that professionally um, anywhere. And that's what was uh, a quote that I used to actually have in my bedroom when I was a, a kid on my notice board um, is the idea of if you can't make a mistake, you can't make anything. Oh, um, I love that. And because I was such a perfectionistic child um, and it would be that thing if I would be the kid who didn't want to, didn't want to go um, sign up to, for an art class because what if it turned out badly? And it's like, yeah. of course it's going to. Everything, you, you let yourself be a beginner, um, yeah. but let yourself make mistakes and realise that that's actually, that's how we make things. Um, yeah. 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 Oh, that's beautiful. I like that. So, I ask this to everybody that comes on. This is one of my favourite questions. If you could meet your 80-year-old self, what do you think she would say to you? I think she would say life is long. Life, life is really long. We have so many messages that life is short constantly. Um, and I think that that's, I'm a hurrier. Like I'm, my natural state is one of busyness. Mm. I'm a person who has three jobs, <laughs> who races from and fits things in for everyone. And I come from a busy household and a big family and yeah. um, and a culture of hurry, hurry and urgency. Yeah. Um, and, you know, of those, you regret the chances that you don't take and all of these sorts of ideas um, and um, don't miss your opportunity, don't miss the window. Um, and I think that, I think that my 80-year-old self would just say, Life is actually really long. Yeah. You've got time. Take your time. Slow down. Yeah. Um, it's okay. And it's all right to do what's right for right now. And I think, again, coming back to the idea of seasons, like, yeah. give yourself time. Yeah. I think slowing down is one of the most underrated things we have. You know, it is this hurry culture, isn't it? I think yeah. taking time to slow and stop. Um, can be so so important my, my son talks about birthdays being laps around the sun 
yeah. like how many laps around the sun you do. And I, I think I like that every now and again to sort of stop and think about in the space of a year, just how far we've come. Like if you think about the journey that we're on as humans and again, coming back to anchoring into that idea of us being this animal on a giant rock that's hurtling through space yeah. of going, look how far you go that, yeah, that there's no need to hurry. You've got plenty of time and you travel great distances. Yeah. Um, and we often, I think there's like in, in business management and things they talk about, we, we overestimate what we can achieve in a day and we underestimate what we can achieve in a year. Yeah. Um, and so just that pacing of life um, of yeah, reminding ourselves that it's okay. You don't have to hurry things up because I think that's the thing our, our red circle threat system yeah. does all the time as well. Hurry, 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 yeah. hurry. And even our drive system, hurry, 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 hurry. Yeah, hurry, quick, hurry. quick, quick, get it done, get it done. <laughs> Be productive. Yeah, that life is long. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's lovely. So you started to mention projects. Could you tell us a bit about any current projects that you're working on? Yes. Yeah, so, so um, now that I've said life is long, the last two years of my life have been very long and very short at the same time. Because <laughs> um, so I've had, um, while going through the separation and divorce, lots of projects went on hold for a while. Uh, and one of the ones I'm most excited about launching in the next, hopefully in the next couple of months or early next year, we'll see what happens with it. Um, but I actually am working on a project that, that's called The Low Bar. Yeah. Um, and about that idea of lowering the bar and expectation setting and what does what does it actually mean to um, allow ourselves imperfection um, and changing that view of that we're all works in progress. Yeah. Like we do have this kind of idea that we're all striving to become better people all of the time and yeah. it's like you're actually allowed to take a break from self-improvement yeah. You don't have to, we don't all have to be working towards self-actualization as the point at which we can learn to love ourselves. It's like yeah. just, yeah. if you lower the bar, you can just love yourself now. Like <laughs> you can actually just. Absolutely. I, I interviewed Diana Hill, who's an act therapist on the podcast um, last season. And she has a, a, a new podcast called Life in Process. She wanted yeah. to move away from this life in progress. Yeah. Um as well so yeah beautiful yes yeah. so that's one of one of the projects I've got on the go is that one and then I've got another project that's coming that's called breathing underwater and breathing underwater is compassion focused therapy in the parent in the perinatal space um beautiful and it's about talking about that idea that when we come into parenthood oftentimes what parents do is they come into parenting like they're diving underwater and they hold their own breath while they parent yeah. And then their lungs start to burn and their baby goes to sleep for a nap and they come up for air and yeah. they disengage from the task of parenting in order to care for themselves. Um, and they come up gasping and then they dive back in again and they hold their breath while they, while they parent and then they come back up for air. And that when we parent in this way where, you know, our identity and our needs are on the shore and our children are underwater, is it, it starts to make it really unappealing um, to be in the space of parenting and parenting can feel like drowning yeah. because while you're in it, you, you aren't breathing for yourself. You aren't meeting your own needs. You aren't noticing or attending to what's going on for you. Um, and so I've developed and shaped up a CFT training around that idea of what do we do so that while you're in it, while you're in the role of parenting, how do you breathe? What is it? And it's different to how you breathe on the shore. It's absolutely very different. 
um, mm. to be breathing underwater. But that idea of if we can do that, how does that change the sense of urgency? Because so often when I work with young fam- like families of young babies, there is this urgency of I have to get my baby to sleep. I have to get my baby to play independently. I have to get someone to care for my baby so that I can meet my own needs. I'm waiting for my, you know, watching the clock, waiting for their partner to get home so that they can do whatever they need to do for themselves. And instead trying to shift and reframe that to being what would it be like to be okay while you're in it rather than getting breaks to be okay and go back to being because we actually inadvertently undermine our maternal identity and our parental identity when we make parenting feel like drowning and the shore feel like an oasis. Mm. Um, so that's that's a big project I've been working on for a good 18 months of really shaping up that content in, into that perinatal space of making CFT skills workable with a baby. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Amanda, that's so beautiful. I, I think, gosh, I wish I'd known of you and and known of this when I was a, a single mum with a very little child trying to do uni and all sorts of stuff. Because <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure I was uh, holding my breath a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, that sounds absolutely beautiful. So, if people want to find out more about you and what you do and get in touch, where can they find you and engage with your work? And I'll put links in the show notes as well. Yeah, perfect. So um, lots of my stuff is going through an overhaul at the moment as these projects get ready to launch in the next six months. Um, but the easiest place to find me is online and um, it's spiltmilkpsych.com. And then on all the socials, it's at spiltmilkpsych, um, P-S-Y-C-H, it's all one word. Yeah. Um, that's fantastic. Yeah. So that's where I am online and around the place. Wonderful. Amanda, it's been an absolute delight chatting with you. And I'm sure people listening will find so much richness from this and find it so helpful. I really thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been lovely to talk to you and lovely to catch up with you, Hayley. Lovely. See you soon. Thank you for sharing this time with me today. I hope your time here was helpful and supportive. If there has been something in this episode that you have found helpful, I invite you to share it with another person you think might benefit. I'd also love it if you'd like to leave a review wherever you tune in. Reviews really help to increase awareness of podcasts, meaning I can spread helpful information more widely. All reviews are welcome and much appreciated, as I know they take time out of your day. Music and editing by Nissa Ray. Thanks, Nissa. I wish you all well in your relationship with yourself. And may you go well and go gently.